Well, I'm going to jump in on your uh, Hope series, okay? So um, if you have a Bible with you, it's going to come on the screen behind me. Um, we're going to 1 Samuel chapter 6, and we're going to read 16 verses. Now, I know you did hear me wrong with 16. It's a long journey, uh, but we're going to make it, and we're going to do it, and it's going to be awesome. And uh, so if you've got a Bible, paper on your tablet, on your phone, or you want to use your eyes, you can um, follow along, or you can just hear me. Uh, whatever you want to do, 1 Samuel 6, verses 1 through 16, okay? And the title of this talk today is, Hope is Coming Home, amen? Anyone ready for hope to come home? Anyone struggling with too much hope? Yeah, I've just got too much. I could give it away. I'm, I'm overcome with all the hope that I had. No, I didn't think so. Uh, so anyway, hope is coming home. So 1 Samuel 6, verses 1 through 16. Here we go. When the ark of the Lord had been in the Philistine territory seven months, the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners and said, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Okay, tell us how we should send it back to its place. So just reversing back a little bit, the Israelites have been squaring off with the Philistines. They've been having a bit of a fight. And uh, the Israelites are going, I know what we'll do. We'll whip out the ark of the covenant. God's with us. We'll just flash the ark a little bit. We'll win and happy days. And so they go and get the Ark of the Covenant. They bring it into the battle. And of course, you know how it goes. You will not treat God's presence with contempt. Uh, and so uh, the Philistines not only destroy and beat the Israelites, they also steal the Ark. But now the Ark is in Philistine territory, five kind of major urban centers in the whole Philistine area. And if you're familiar with the story, the Philistines, they put the Ark in the Covenant along with their God in the temple. And the presence of our God, causes their God to fall and head comes off the statue. Oh, read the story. It's, it's unreal, okay? And, uh, and now we're in a stage where in each of these five centers, a, a plague has broken out, okay? And so the Philistine leaders are getting together and saying, it has to be the ark. We need a way to get rid of this thing. We got to get the ark of the covenant away. And so this is the context. How do we get this thing away from us? And so they bring in the priests. They bring in the sort of spiritual advisors and tell us, what should we do? And we go back to verse three. And so they answered, if you return the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it back to him without a gift. By all means, send it to him, send a gift, forgive me, I'll start that again. By all means, send a guilt offering to him. Then you will be healed and you will know why his hand has not been lifted from you. The Philistines asked, well, what kind of gift offering should we send him? And so they replied, five gold tumors and five gold rats, according to the number of the Philistine rulers, because the same plague has struck both you and your rulers. Make the models of the tumors and of the rats that are destroying the country and give glory to Israel's God, and perhaps he will lift his hand from you and your gods and your land. Why do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and the Pharaoh did when the Israelites God dealt harshly with them? Did they not send the Israelites out so they could go on their way? So I said earlier, the plagues were a type of bubonic plague, carried by rats, creating tumors. So what the idea would be, if we idolize, literally, if we idolize our suffering, if we make gold objects of the tumors and of the rats, 
We put them in a box, we set it beside the ark, and we sent the whole thing away. Symbolically, the further the little sort of golden objects get further from us, we hope that the further the plague will leave us, okay? And so they're tying the two together. That's what this really is all about. And it's interesting here, the Philistines know uh, Jewish history, as it were. They knew about the Exodus. They knew about the, um, you know, the Pharaoh. Please don't make that mistake, is what they're saying. Let them go, all right? Now, verse 7, are you with me? We're almost halfway. Okay. Now then, get a new cart ready with two cows that have been calved and never been yoked. I'll unpack that in a minute. Hitch the cows to the cart, but take their calves away and pen them up. Take the ark of the Lord and put it on the cart and in a chest beside it, put the gold objects you are sending back to him as a guilt offering. Send it on its way, but keep watching it. If it goes up to its own territory towards Beth Shemesh, then the Lord has brought this great disaster on us. But if it does not, then we will know that it was not his hand that struck us, but that it happened to us by chance. So what they did, they built a new cart. They put cows that had just had calves for the first time. It is the most unnatural thing for a cow that has just had a calf to leave it, okay? So they wanted to separate it. And so the thinking was, remember, ancient culture, all right? Put yourself in the day. So the thinking was, if the cows carry on up the road towards Beth Shemesh, they will know that some other power has overridden the natural instinct within the cow, okay? It was kind of how they were testing what was going on. I'm making sense. We're nearly there. You're doing good. So they did this, verse 10. They took the two such cows, hitched them to the cart, and penned up their calves. They placed the ark of the Lord on the cart, and along with it, the chest containing the gold rats, remember earlier, and the models of the tumors. Then the cows went straight up towards Beth Shemesh, and they were keeping on the road, lowing all the way. So they were mooing as they were going. They weren't happy, but they kept going. Okay, moo. But they kept moving. Okay. I'm so sorry. All right. The rulers of the Philistines followed them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. Verse 13, three to go. Now, the people of Beth Shemesh, they were harvesting their wheat in the valley. And when they looked up, they saw hope coming home. They saw the ark and they rejoiced at the sight. The cart came to the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh and there it stopped beside a large rock and the people chopped up the wood of the cart, sacrificed the cows, poor cows, as a burnt offering to the Lord. The Levites, verse 15, took down the ark of the Lord together with the chest containing the gold objects and placed them on the large rock. And on that day, the people of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices to the Lord. The five rulers of the Philistines saw all of this. They were like happy days. And then they returned that same day to Ekron. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. What a story, okay? And so, Father, we just pray that what you want to move and do in, in our lives through this text, Lord, will have huge implications for today and every day. And so, Father, would you help us, Holy Spirit? Would you, would you open our hearts and open our minds? And we ask it all in Jesus' name and everybody said... Amen. All right. So uh, just at the start of August, we were heading off on holiday. We were getting a flight uh, to Dubrovnik. We were heading on a 7.40 a.m. flight out of Dublin. We live in Derry. And so you can imagine then we were sitting outside our house the night before, the night before, okay, 12.30. And we were in the car. Luggage was in. Judith was not in. The kids were in. I was in. Car was on. We were waiting, okay. Judith was in the house. 
What I want you to know about Judith is when she was young, about sort of 16, 17, her mother passed away and she is the middle of three sisters. And so um, what they do as, as a group of sisters, okay, every year at uh, New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, they would take, they've got three of their mum's rings. They've got a signet ring, an engagement ring, and a wedding ring. And so every year they would swap a ring and they would wear that ring throughout the year. Come New Year's Eve, they would swap a ring and away they would go, okay. And so it's a number of years that obviously has passed. This has been the habit. It's a great habit. It's a cute thing. And, uh, and they love it. So you can imagine the, the value of the ring. doesn't matter whether it's a wedding or an, whatever. It's just a huge deal. When Judith is not wearing the ring or using the ring, she would wrap up the ring, hide the ring, and put it somewhere in the house, okay? And as we were getting ready to leave the house, well, we were ready to leave the house. Judith thought, I know, I'm going to check for the ring. Just that last little, you know the paranoid check before you leave for holidays? Lights, stuff, doors, locks, all of that. She goes, ring. So we go over, and she goes to where she has the ring placed, could not find the ring, okay? And she comes thundering down the stairs and out into the, into the sort of driveway. I can't find mom's ring. We empty out of the car because we know the value of this thing to her. I'm out of the car. Kids are out of the car. We go up into the room where she put the, put the ring and we're tearing that place apart. We could not find the ring. And we had to go off on holidays not knowing where the ring was. Now, I'm going to tell you what you want to hear. We found the ring when we got home, all right? It was exactly where she left it, all right? Have you heard of blind panic? That's a thing, okay? That's really a thing. Anyway, that's not really the point. The point is, for the story, is this, that we all know what it's like to lose something. Yes, we know what it's like to lose a thing, um, a person, an object, a memory, a role, a job, whatever it might be, we all know what it is to, you know, to deal with this experience of loss, even a loss of a way of life, whatever it might be, we all know what loss feels like. I'm going to go with the Philistines in a moment, but looking at it from the perspective of the Israelites, for seven months, they had lost the most important thing to their identity. There was this huge God-shaped space, not just in the temple or the tent, okay? It was a tent at this time, not just a gap in the tent. It was a gap in their psyche, a gap in their faith, a gap in their identity, because all of their, their being, all of their faith, all of this thing, all of these most important things were wrapped up in the Ark of the Covenant. And that was pretty much part of the problem, to be honest. It was wrapped up in this object. And now that they'd lost the object, everything had gone with the object. And so my thing today for all of us is to ask you, is there anyone in church today, anyone in the room, anyone going to be watching online that's living life right now with this huge God-shaped space within you? It's like you just can't see God the way you used to. You don't feel, if you like, God the way you used to. You can't quite hear God the way you used to. In fact, like anything, it's like it's been stolen. It's like someone's come along and robbed your faith. Whether it's unexpected tragedy, unexpected illness, redundancy, maybe it's a sense of our own mistakes and regrets because we do go through seasons where our past seems to be more ominous than at other seasons. Maybe it's shame or, or offense or bitterness. Like I know people in other churches who are bitter, not here, but other places, bitterness and betrayal. Anyone? Come on, you gotta be alive for five minutes before someone betrays you somewhere. 
Okay, not here. Excellent. <laughs> Unfulfilled promises, okay? Unmet expectations. Don't put your hands up, but anyone with unmet expectations. Oh, my goodness. And any of these things, as hard as they are to hear, and as hard as they are even to talk about, okay, they will come to your life. They will. If they haven't, they're coming. All right, they are. And, and what they try to do is they try to smother your hope. They try to steal your vision, suffocate your faith, silence your song. They want to deny your calling. You just kind of stamp out your anointing. And when you put all of that together, what they try to do is to erase the reality of Jesus in your life. They try to create the space where God used to occupy. So my thing this morning is what if, what if God dared uh, to try and return hope to you this morning? What if he would try and make his way to you? Because I love this about this story is that the Israelites didn't go back and try to get the ark. The ark came to them. That incredible. I love how God takes the initiative to get to his people. For God so loved the world, he sent his only son. Salvation is his idea and it's his initiative. Isn't it incredible? Oh, come on, it's awesome. It really is. Anyway, so what if we could get to a place today where we believe that, you know what, whatever the enemy seems to think that, you know, he's stolen from you, God's going to return. Amen. Amen? It's a bit exciting. Let me give you three quick things, okay? But what we need to know, and this is where I'm going to wheel in the Philistines at this stage, and the three things that I want us to know about our enemy that's going to help us, I believe, from today and here on out. And the first thing that's important to know is this. It's important to know your enemy. That's the first thing. we got to know our enemy, okay? A wise man gets more use from his enemies than a fool from his friends. Yes? Oh yeah, okay. You gotta know. You gotta know that. Do you think that Arsenal beat Tottenham yesterday without knowing what Tottenham was like? Oh yes. Do you see where I'm headed today? It's all football. We just can't believe we're doing well. Anyway, okay. It's important to know your enemy. In our text today, who is the enemy? Excellent. Okay. What I want you to know is that your enemy, my enemy, is also the Philistines. Okay, they're different, they look different, but they're the Philistines, okay? And what we need to know today is that the Philistines that come after you and come after me, they are arranged in three battalions, infantry, cavalry, and special forces, okay? Three battalions, and they're very powerful, and Paul helps us to identify, give names to these battalions, and we'll find them in Ephesians 2, chapter one, uh, Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 3. He says, as for you, he's talking to the new church there, you were dead in your old life in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world, battalion number one the world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Battalion number two, the devil, that is the spirit who is now at work. All of us were at one time gratifying the cravings of our battalion three, flesh, okay, and following desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were deserving of wrath. Philistine Battalion 1, that's the world. Battalion 2, that's the devil. Battalion 3, the flesh, okay? And each of these battalions are good on their own, but wow, what an operation when they come together. Woo! They are a mean machine, okay? Here's what individually they do, and then I'm going to show you how they work together. Number one, the world distorts reality. Yes, it's hard to know what reality is. In fact, sociologists call this term that we are living in, this era we're living in, post-truth. You've heard of modern, you've heard of post-modern, now we're post-truth. What a term, post-truth. 
It's like we've done with truth, we've moved on, we've evolved from what's true. What a nonsense. What an utter nonsense, okay? Truth today is whatever you deem it to be. If I feel it, it's true. You decide your own truth. Nightmare, okay? So the world distorts reality. The devil derails reality. What he does, he derails reality. And so what he does, he puts your life on reels and takes you the wrong way, okay? He tries to turn you the other way, away from eternal life with Jesus through his, his sort of weapons of lies, accusations, devastation, and temptations. He is the liar. He is the accuser, the attempter, and the destroyer, Amen. That's how he works. He is not your friend. The flesh then, <coughs> excuse me, the flesh disrupts reality. Yes? Have you ever heard this line? Anyone ever say this to you? Do you know what you are? You are your own worst. Do you ever get in your own way? <laughs> Don't open arms. Don't even laugh. Come on. It's not, can't just be me. Hey, it's me and Jeff. Come on. That's it. Jeff and I went to school together. That's how I'm picking on him. Believe it or not, not awesome. I remember going to, I'm not sure I said this before one time, but did I tell you the story about the bell and the hammer hitting the thing? Oh yeah, that's a story I got in my own way. It was Christmas. We were going to like a bowling alley place, cinema amusement stuff. And they had, you know, the, the hammer and the bell, you hit the thing and ding. And I'm there with the kids. I'm thinking, where's Raul? He loved this story. I'm thinking, I'm going to show off them. I'm going to show off the kids. Awesome. Watch this. Get your phones out. This is going viral. And uh, I put the euro in and I got the hammer, okay? And I, and I oh, just, and I was, had to make sure I hit it because the kids were, the place was packed, Christmas, everybody there. And, uh, and I thought, well, I've got to hit this thing. So full effort, full effort, right? And I went that hard at it. I actually jumped off the floor as I hit the thing. So it was like a bang. It was epic. And boom, ding. I'm like, yes, ding. You all heard the ding. And kissed the hammer then come off the pad. Boom, straight into my face in the middle of a packed, <laughs> seriously, the place was packed. We were there with a couple of friends of ours. They did this and they walked off. My kids went, don't know him. My wife rushed the other way. Every, it felt like Jesus. Everybody cleared off. It was honestly, and I'm left standing there going, did anybody see that? <laughs> then you have to do the meal thing. That didn't hurt. And then you're hoping that I don't have black eyes for Christmas. And had, I mean, fortunately enough, I had glasses on and somehow, right, the, the, the pad came back and hit the little, it hit there on the glasses somehow. Not a mark, like not a mark. I thought raccoon for Christmas, raccoon man, you know. It's a new Marvel hero, raccoon man, you know. Anyway, <coughs> we get in our own way. You get in your own way. You're busy growing your living room, casting and buying the devil. It's actually you. You're getting in your own way. All right, here's how they all work together. Those three battalions, all right? Now, you see that can of Coke Zero over here? Anyone like Coke Zero? You don't? Fabulous. The world distorts reality, okay? And even though that you had your tea and you're, you're well satiated and you don't feel thirsty, the minute you see Coke Zero, because you love Coke Zero, you weren't a second ago, but oh, you know what, now I'm thirsty. Not true. Now that I see that with all the little bubbles on it, the little cold, oh, that's oh, cold too, that's harsh. Fun, I, 
do you know I wasn't? That's the weirdest thing. But now I'm thirsty. In fact, I'm parched. <laughs> I'm absolutely par- I don't know who put that there. That's not, I didn't buy it. It's not mine. But funnily enough, I could. And you know what? Actually, it's not even water I want. Coke zero, baby. <laughs> the devil lands in battalion two. He suddenly gets an order and the devil moves in and goes, well. need it. Your body's telling you, you need this. Take it. Somebody's left it there. You didn't buy it, doesn't matter. You can buy another one, put it back. It's fine. Just take it. And it can be whatever. Just say it. Just watch it. Just whatever. Just take it. You're thirsty. And he sounds, he kind of uses your voice. It sounds like you. <laughs> and then the world comes in. And then you, that's you. That's your unregenerated what's left of the old you. And it starts making excuses for bad decisions. You remember that? You know, do you ever do that? You rationalize the bad move. I know we've no money, but let's buy the house. Because, well, we, we might need the garden. We start, we start doing stuff, yes? Yeah, and so your, your mind starts, you, you come in on it and you go, you deserve that. The week you've had, how you looked after the kids and made breakfast once this week. You, you need, you deserve this man of the house. You're the head of the home, whatever, just, you know. So you get the three of them, they're going, hey, you're thirsty. Your body tells you, you act, this is a matter of life or death now. If you don't drink this, you might pass out. Take it, take it. You deserve it. Take it, you deserve it. You need it. You're th- this whole thing goes on and on and on. And then it's like Samson and Delilah, it's, it's temptation by degree. Oh, it's full. Oh, it's cold with the. And then it's like. And there's nobody here. Nobody's coming for it. Oh. Oh, and it's beautiful. And if only that was it. Because the three battalions come running right back. That's what they do. They don't leave it there. The world with all its double standards will post on Twitter about you. Did you steal that Coke at Quad Daddy? That's what they'll do. Did you steal that Coke? Did you steal that Coke? Even though the world said, hey, you're thirsty, the world then will go, did you steal that Coke? The devil, he comes in and he goes, well, if you stole that Coke, do you know what that makes you? That makes you a... And he begins to accuse you in line with what you have done. You're a thief. 
You gotta understand how he works. He's the tempter, but once you give in to temptation, he becomes the accuser. The hat changes, and he redefines your identity in light of your sin. And then the flesh, it just follows up with a sucker punch. He says, well, if, if you didn't own it and you did steal it and you're a thief, your flesh goes, well, I must be a thief. And then if I'm a thief, I don't wanna be a thief. Therefore, I feel bad about stealing. Therefore, I feel guilty and thundering on the heels of guilt is condemnation. That's how he works. And it doesn't matter whether it's with Diet Coke, Ordinary Coke, Fanta, Lemon Fanta, bitterness, anger, stuff that's happened to you in your life, not your fault. You still get a chance to choose how you respond. Whatever. It doesn't matter what the issues are. This is how the enemy works. But now you know and you know what to do, amen? So whenever the enemy comes at you and whatever the issue might be, you now understand what's happening. You now understand what happens to you after you commit the thing. So no longer are we gonna commit the thing, okay? Now, the second thing that's important for us to know, this will all tie together, it's important for us to know that the enemy actually can't steal from you, okay? He actually can't steal from you. Even though it feels like he has stolen something from you, the condemnation creates this God-shaped space within you. So we feel empty. We feel like something's been stolen from us. But the reality is, and I want to show you this, the enemy actually can't steal from you. When the Philistines stole the ark, they thought, yes, we've stolen the presence of God. When the Israelites lost the ark, they thought they'd lost the presence of God. But how many people know in open arms, you cannot steal or you cannot lose the presence of God? Amen? So what happened? The Philistines, listen to me here, follow me. The Philistines stole the object, not the source. They stole an object of faith, but not the source of the faith to which the object represented. The Israelites never lost the presence of God, but they did lose access to the object that represented their faith, but they didn't lose the source of faith itself. When the quality of my faith, when the depth of my faith, okay, is tied to an object more than the source then my faith is temporal. In other words, if my faith, and I wanna use this word consistently, okay? But when my faith consistently, all the time, needs a person, needs a place, needs a conference, needs a podcast, needs a phone call, needs a pastoral visit, needs cared for and my belly rubbed, when I need, my faith is temporal. When what I need is my faith to be tied to a source. It needs to be tied to something greater and something bigger. It needs to be tied to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Next September, okay, my children are all, they're all planning to go to university. They are planning to leave me, okay? Shocking. We go from two to six to two, just like that, okay? Now, I'm married to Judith, as you know. If my wife and our marriage was tied to the objects in our marriage, i.e. the children, okay, and now they leave, my marriage is vulnerable to attack. Yes? Now, marriage is hard work. Hey, you, hard work. Okay, no, joke. Okay, it's hard work. It's, it's just, it's, <laughs> who knew? All right? But it's hard work. But 
Thank God, Judith and I are still together and we are working away. And, but our, our marriage is not tied to the children. Our essence of our marriage is tied to the creator of marriage. The, the person who built marriage, birthed marriage, believes in marriage is to the Lord Jesus. And so whatever comes our way in our marriage, God, with, with strength and faith and hard work, it will endure in Jesus' name. Amen? It's the same thing here. If your heart for God is only sustained by the job you do or the title you have or the health you enjoy or the seat you sit in at church. Seriously, I had people in Derry turn up late to a service one day. One Sunday, they rocked up through the doors. Someone was sitting in their seat. They turned on their heel and they walked out. Talk about faith tied to a seat. You can build with those people. Amen? Come on, when, when you need a favorite pastor, when you need all the time a favorite song, when you need a favorite building that don't have my coffee, we're in trouble. You are susceptible to moves of the enemy. So why is this important? It's important because some of you have lost access to position. You have lost access maybe to a salary, to a loved one, to a place, peace, hope, whatever it is. And that's hard. And I'm not here to, to shout at you or to chide you on that. But the problem is, the added problem is that your heart for God has gone with it because it's been tied to it. And now you're wondering why I can't find my song and I can't find my joy and I can't seem to access my passion and my gifts anymore. Well, here's the big scoop, open arms. You haven't lost your passion. You haven't lost your gifts and you haven't lost your song. You haven't lost any of these things. What you have lost is access to the objects that used to stimulate them. But the reality is you haven't lost access to the source. And what God wants you to know today is that he's leading you back, not to church, not to a life group, not to anything of that sort, but please do go to them. In the first instance, he's leading you back to Jesus, who is the author and the finisher and the perfecter of your faith. And I tell you this, the more you love Jesus, the more you come to church. The more you love Jesus, the more you vision offering. The more you love Jesus, the more you'll go to connect groups. It's not about the stuff, it's about the source I gotta tell you, honestly, come on, this is what it's all about. What you wanna know about Jesus is that he is the source of our salvation. Hip, hip. All right, and within this salvation is a reality that we need to tap into again, all over again. When Jesus rose from the dead, what happened was that he rose glorified and he rose victorious. Two for two. He rose glorified, he was different, and he was victorious. The victory that he won he won as us. He won as our representative. Everything Jesus won at the cross, he won on our behalf. In other words, we can appropriate, that's a legal word, we can take on board for ourselves all of the blessings he won for us. Is that okay? We struggle with that in Ireland. We struggle with receiving anything for free. We're not good with grace. It's the truth. But until we learn this, we step into this, come on. So whatever he won for us at the cross, we can appropriate, we can have, we can embrace. In the cross, and as he walked out of the tomb, this is the beautiful thing. He overcame battalion one, the world. When he walked out of the grave, he overcame battalion two, the devil. And when he walked out of the grave, he overcame battalion three, the flesh on our behalf. 
What this means is, in Jesus, we have overcome the world, the devil, and the flesh through his resurrection power that lives in you. Amen? The Bible says that Jesus is seated high above all principalities and powers. Everything's under his In Ephesians, it tells you where believers in Christ are also seated. Where are they seated? Where are you seated by faith in Christ in this moment? And so if the principalities and powers of the earth are under his feet, and you're seated beside him, then what lives under your feet? They're all under your feet. That's where they live. That's where they exist. So when everything starts to come at you and your hunger for a, a, a Coke Zero starts to overwhelm your mind, I want you to remember this moment and begin to recite to yourself, in Jesus, every enemy is under my feet. In Christ, I have resurrection power. In Christ, I have the victory. Look to Jesus, look to the source, start to sing, start to believe, and start to march in Jesus' name. Amen? We've got to look at this. Let's get back to who Jesus is, and everything else will follow suit. The final thing, and then I am out. It is this. Number three, it is important to know the enemy And this is quick. The enemy cannot use what he steals from you. Amen? It's really important. This is amazing. He cannot use what he steals from you. The Philistines thought that they could use the ark. Ooh, ooh, we have the ark. We have the ark. No one will be able to come near us. What they understood and found out was that they couldn't handle the ark. The enemy cannot handle what he tries to steal from you. The enemy has no use for your song. Do you think that the enemy's playlist on Spotify needs your addition? He wants to sing praises that you sing in the car. He wants to sing the worship songs that you sing. He doesn't want, he, do you think the enemy wants to limit your resources so he can give more to the work of the church? Do you think the enemy wants to silence your gifts because he wants to use your prophetic gift in the world? Not at all. He doesn't use what he steals. He doesn't want to use what he steals. So why does he try it? If he doesn't actually steal from us and he can't use what he tries to steal, why bother? Well, it's really simple. In 1 Samuel 6, verses 13 through 16, we see this, and I'm arguing from silence here. I've got to be honest. I'm saying that everywhere I go. I'm arguing from silence on this point. But the point is this, that when the, 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 the guys, they were, they were on the harvest and they were, they were doing the wheat, the Israelites, and they saw the cart coming close to them, what's the first thing they did? The first thing they did, let's get the ark, let's get the, put it there, let's chop this thing up, right, and there we go. And an offering goes up instantly. You know what this tells me, it shows me that for seven months there hadn't been an offering in Israel. There hadn't been an offering in Israel because they felt they'd lost the presence of God. In other words, when the enemy stole or tried to steal the presence of God, the Israelites lost their motivation to worship. And this is what I want you to know. The enemy cannot steal your song, but he wants to rob your motivation to sing. He cannot steal your gifts, but he wants to rob you, minimize the motivation for you to use them. He cannot rob your voice, but he knows that when you get together to pray, you are an earth-shattering, community-changing machine. Amen? 
That's what you are. He knows that if he can limit what you do, if he can rob your song, if he can rob your gift, if he can minimize the impact of your life in the kingdom of God, well, do you know what? That's one more for me. And I want to encourage you today. We cannot have it. We cannot allow the enemy to try and steal and to limit anymore the effects of faith in your life because there's a community, there's a nation, and I've got to tell you, there's a continent called Europe that needs us to come Come together in Jesus' name and begin to bring the difference, amen? That's what it's all about. We gotta do it. So what do we do? Well, as I told you, and I'm, I'm finished now with this story, as I told you earlier on, we flew off to Dubrovnik on the 9th of August. We learned something about traffic management in Dubrovnik and from the 9th of August onwards. In Ireland, when we go to a zebra crossing, and in the north at least, this is how it goes, even when you're some distance from the zebra crossing, cars will stop, they'll slow down. Yes, and as you walk across, even though you don't know the person, you might get the steering wheel hand raised. A wee hello, how are you? You don't know them, but we're friendly in this country, and so how are you? A little wave normally happens. Yes? Yeah. Not in Dubrovnik. Oh, not at all. Oh, no, no. We, we, we had things to learn on holiday, okay? I don't go to holiday to learn stuff, but if we were going to find our way anywhere in this city, we needed to learn how to do traffic. So we would walk up to Dubrovnik, up to the side of the road, there'd be a zebra crossing. We're expecting traffic to slow down and then to stop. Not at all. Whoom, 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 whoom. Uber drivers, whoom, whoom, straight away. And what are we going to do? How are we going to cross? They wouldn't stop. Whoosh, they just kept coming. So we would come back off the curb a little bit. How are we going to do this? There's no lights. There's no wee man. Beep, 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 nothing. Just the zebra. So we thought, well, you know, we'll try a bit of traffic management hokey-cokey. So we come to the edge of the, the curb again. Whoa, whoa. We put the right foot in, or the right foot out again. <laughs> so that wasn't working with the left foot in. So, well, that, nothing. Whoosh, whoosh. They're just trying to take your legs off. It's whatever. And, uh, and so we thought, well, maybe you have to run in and out. So we thought, okay, okay, children. Little daddy loves you. I may never be back. So we run out, and, and, and they would come to stop, but they, weren't, they were slowing down. It didn't look like they were going to stop. And so I would be halfway across. They're slowing down, but still moving. I wasn't sure, so I ran the other side back across. And so for two days, we were running up and down zebra crossings, white, pale Irish people running about, doing the hokey-cokey all around zebra crossings. Like, we kept the kids fit. We put on no weight for... We're just running back and forth. I said, we'll never make it to the other side of this holiday. We'll never get to our destination. We'll never explore the end of this. What are we going to do? So I had a team huddle. Okay, team S, I'll go first. I'll go first. Okay, daddy loves you. And so anyway, all the best. I'm going for it. So I thought, I just marched confidently across the street. And would you know, they stopped. I know, they stopped. And I just walked out. And I got halfway across like Moses. I just called the children, walk slowly. We've two and a half days of payback. Let's go. Slower than that. Let's go. We just were walking. That's how we did it. We understood this, that if we were going to make it from one end of this holiday to the next, we'd have to keep walking. Because when we understood how to manage the zebra crossing, we understood that when you kept walking, you activated an invisible law that prevented the enemy, mostly Uber drivers, 
from taking you out. And it is the same with us. If we're gonna make it from one end of this life to the next, on this planet, exploring God, checking out the highs and the lows of life, getting with family, building church, seeing things change, communities, whatever. We have to learn to keep walking. So I think of Abraham and Lot. They had a big, big fallout. They separate. They go their separate ways. Abraham is down in the dumps. He's down in the dumps, okay? God turns up to him and he said, you know what, Abraham? Come on out. Come on out. Remember, there's no Bible. There's nothing. God didn't go, I want you to go to Genesis chapter 15. He was in Genesis. He is Genesis chapter 15. So God would speak through imagery and dreams and stuff. And so he would take Abraham out and he said, look to the skies. And so he says to Abraham, look, look at the promise, reminding you of the promise of all that's going to come through you. And then he goes on to Abraham and he says, look, look at all the land, look at all the land. Here's what I want you to do, I want you to walk. Because Abraham felt he'd lost something. God turns up, showed him actually he'd lost nothing, but if he was going to get it, he'd have to, he'd have to walk. Elijah, Mount Carmel. All the prophets of Baal taken out. What an incredible moment of glory for the Lord. Jezebel, one woman, okay? She's shouting the odds, giving it, if I get you, Elijah does a runner. God turns up at the, at the brook Kidron and he's lying there in a ball of fear. Turns up, nudges him, wakes him up, feeds him and says, hey, you're gonna do this, but I need you to take a, you take a walk. And so for 40 days, he walked to the Mount Horeb where he got that still small voice moment. He thought he'd lost something. Even in the, in the context of tremendous victory, he thought he'd lost something. And God turned up, hope came home and said, hey, I need you to keep walking. Finally, with, with Peter and the disciples, Jesus died, rose again. He's turned up, but again, come on, remember the context. I'm going back to fishing. I'm going back to my old life, the, the thing I used to do, my, who I used to be, my old identity. I'm going back. I'm going back. Back fishing. They're out there fishing. All the disciples say, I'm coming too. They're all out fishing. This voice from the shore. Friends, have you caught much? No, we haven't caught anything. Put the thing, put the net out to the other side of the boat. They did it. Might as well. Nothing to lose. Massive catch of fish. Synapses are firing off in John's brain. It is the Lord. And Peter's like, so it is. Off of the gear, in the river, poof, onto the shore. Jesus, fantastic, he's already cooking the fish. Not what they caught, he caught his own. Already prepared. And in that moment, he restores Peter three times. For every time he disowned him, Jesus restored him. What's he doing? 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 He's restoring his walk. Peter had thought he'd lost the presence of God. And yet Jesus takes the initiative, brings it back, and tells him to keep walking. So I want to encourage you today. Do you want to come up, Jody? He's saying. I want to encourage you today. Come on, let's just stand. We're well over time a little bit, but I want to pray for you guys. I want to pray. For anyone who has lost, is living with a sense of law, I've lost something. Come on, let's just be real in this moment. Let's be real in this moment, Father. Whether it's 
something that's happened to us or it's happened through us, whatever that moment of loss might have been, whatever's caused that, but your sense of the presence of the reality of God has gone with it and you know things haven't been the same. That's what COVID has done, everybody. COVID has done a number on this for a lot of people. COVID's taught us what really our faith was built on. It's revealed that to a lot of people. And a lot of people are wondering how to come back. And this is, this is, this. This is God taking the initiative to say, I'm bringing you back. Hope is coming home. I get it. I get it. Hope is coming home. Lord Jesus. Come on, I wonder if there anybody in the room. Come on, who's in the room? I wonder in, the, in your mind's eye, would you, could you see this? Could you see it? the cart coming over the horizon of your future. I wonder, could you receive right now something of the promise of God? I wonder, could you feel the, the, the bubbling of the promises of God coming up into your life, the, the faith begin to bubble from your feet up into your spirit, into your soul as the Lord pours in hope, that hope is coming home where you are once again being reacquainted to who Jesus is, not just what church is, but who Jesus is that he is the absolute source of everything. We'll learn today how the enemy actually works and we're no longer gonna give him any access. Any of the battalions, we're, we're wiser, we're sharper, we're smarter now. We know how that happens and so we're not gonna get sucked into betrayal and offense and replying and emailing angry stuff and we're not gonna, you know, we're not gonna get, get caught in that. We know now we're not gonna have that sense of loss, giving things away. But Father, I want you to pour in. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would pour in right now. That you would fill that God-shaped space within our souls. That hope is coming home in this place. That hope is coming home in this place. And so, Father, I just pray in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, do you sense his presence, church? Allow hope to come home. Our faith is built on nothing else except Jesus' blood and righteousness. Come on. Come on. Come on. Guys, I'm going to close the service just here in a sec. Come on. Just build. Just allow the presence to build. Allow hope to come home. So Father, just, just seal in what's happened here today. Even over teas and coffees as we grab our kids. Even as we're preparing for connect groups and thinking about that and about our vision offering and all the various ways that we're contributing to what we're doing. Uh, Holy Spirit, I just pray, seal in what happens here. Whatever lies before us tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whatever that looks like, Father, I just pray. I just pray hope has come home. In Jesus' name, everybody says.